I've never been more nervous to do something in my life. I'm telling you, I looked at that and I was like, there, normally we have other people read. I was like, there's no way I can have somebody else read. Um, you know, and if you're sitting there and reading and you're like, some of the words you pronounce wrong, you know what? Listen, when you're reading Hakashayab and all these things over and over again, you know, you just gotta, you gotta go with it. See, the reason that I wanted to read all of this and not just like give you like one verse is because there's an intention there. Nehemiah is writing, as we're continuing our story uh, in the life of Nehemiah, the people of God, in in the series entitled Making Our House a Home. Nehemiah is wanting you to understand the scope of the work and who was involved. So we we started in Babylon where he hears about the news of the people of God and the the shambles and and the ruin that the city of Jerusalem is in. And and it burdens him and it creates a vision that he is called to go and, and to be a part of what God wants to do in the city of rebuilding the people of God in the city. And so he gets there. And last week we talked about how he rallies everybody together. And he says, listen, we have to rise up and build. It's not just me. It's not just up to a few of us. We together, this is communal work. We have to do this together. And so he, he ends and he says, we're going to rise up and build. And there's some adversity. People are like, this is ridiculous. You're never going to do that. And then we jump to chapter three and you have all these Hekashayabs and all these guys and they all get together and they rebuild the wall. And each one of them, he identifies by name because of the importance of every single person coming together to carry out God's vision. I don't know if you've ever been a part of something before where uh, there's a group of people that came together and everybody had a task and a job to, you know, to finish uh, a project or to excel in something that you had a goal to do. I did my freshman year of high school. I was on the robotics team. Can you believe that? Uh, the only reason I was on the robotics team was because I needed extra credit for science class. And they told me if I join the robotics team, then I'll get extra credit. And so I joined the robotics team. And my job, my task was to uh, take this little ball and to shoot it into a hoop. That was my job. I thought we were going to build like a robot, like walking around. I was really excited. First off, the robot was not like that. It was on wheels and it picked up this little ball and it would shoot a ball and you'd have like battle robots. It was kind of cool. But I wasn't allowed to touch the robot. Um, They would not let me get anywhere near anything that was important. Uh, They said, Carter, you're a basketball player. So just take this ball and then tell us the trajectory. And I was like, I don't even know what that means. But okay, I'll just keep shooting this ball and get extra credit. Then we would go to competitions. I wanted to drive the robot, but I wasn't allowed. I had to scout the other teams, which meant walk around and talk to people. And so I had a task though, and we did really well. We finished second uh, in the nation, which was really exciting. I was only on the robotics team for one year because extra credit only counted for one year. And then I left, but you know, I had a part, I had a task, even though it wasn't very important. I didn't really do anything, but they gave me a role, thankfully, instead of just like Carter sit in the corner and you're not, you can't do anything good. But here in the passage, if you notice, as we're reading through it, each person has a different task. And, and some of them are really important tasks. And some of them are, are maybe smaller tasks or shooting hoops and, and scouting out. But every single person has a different Role. I promise you, we're not going to reread the entirety of this again, but I want to read the first two verses so you can kind of gain a sense of what is taking place. And I especially like these verses. He says this, the high priest Eliashib and his fellow priests were up at it. This may be a little bit of a different version than you have. They went to work on the sheep gate. They repaired it and hung its doors, continuing as far as the tower of hundred and the tower of Hanayi. 
The men of Jericho worked alongside them and next to them, Zachar, son of Emery. See, I like this section because uh, the clergy are actually working. They're not just praying. So in this instance, right, Nehemiah says to the people of God, we have to rebuild the wall and we have to do this together. And every single person is involved, even the clergy. You know, the, the whole idea here is that Desperate times call for desperate measures. And I understand this. Um, I had to put aside my clergy collar, right? When I became a homeowner, I had to learn how to fix a roof, repair doors, you know, treat, scrape, and paint the walls, install sprinklers. I even learned how to disinfect and deodorize an attic when you're infested with rats. Um, Now, do not think for a second that I'm handy. I have YouTube. That's about it. But, I, you know, in this instance, I knew there's no one else that's going to do it. I have to learn. And so I, I got my hands dirty, even though I'm not very good at anything of that nature. And in the same instance, Nehemiah says to the people of God, we're to rise up and build together. And every single person is involved. It's not like the, the clergy are like, listen, that's great. We're behind you, but we're not really good at this. We don't get our hands dirty. We open books and we pray and then we, you know, we give speeches, but we're not like going to build the wall, but they're actually involved in building the wall. Even Eliashib, the high priest, he is actually the most important person in the entire city. And he is building the wall. He's involved in the project. Every single person was to rise up and build. I think that's interesting to me because surely the priest thought, you know, this is not one of our top skills. Very few of them were probably very good with manual labor. Probably didn't know much about rebuilding a wall. Uh, They would not identify this as a strength of theirs. It was not in their profession in any way, shape, or form. And yet, when God gives his people a vision that is born out of a burden that he has and the people of God come together and it becomes their burden and now it becomes their vision and together as one people, they're running after something. Everyone gets their hands dirty. Every single person gets involved, even the priests. The question I wanted to ask is, do you ever feel like you don't have the skills maybe necessary to tackle certain needs in the church or in the city. You feel like, I, I, you know, I don't know if I'm really good at any of these certain things that the church is, is saying that they need help with, or I don't have these certain skills. There's a lot of need in the city, but I don't know if I would actually connect well, if I would actually be of any benefit. Now, what I'm trying to tell you is I'm not asking you, every single one of you, to sign up and join the band. Right. And uh, because in, in, you know, in high school, you sang Lincoln Park in your bedroom with the door closed and pretend like you were the lead singer and it would invite people up and the crowd loved you. I don't know where I got that from, but I'm not saying to just join the band. Right. Because I don't have any skills, but I'll just join the band. But sometimes we feel like that. Right. Like, I don't know if I have the skills necessary to meet these certain needs. They're, they're daunting. They're huge. They're large. I don't know much about it. I don't know if I really have a place. And I think one of the things that we see in this passage very clearly is that the requirement to meet need, the requirement to be involved in God's vision is not skill. Surely some people were skilled. The requirement is willingness. The priests were willing. All the other people who read their names were willing. 
And we're going to see what some of those people were like. Willingness is what it takes to be involved in God's vision. And so the question is, are you willing to be involved in God's vision for his church and his city? You see, we've been, we've been tying this together because very clearly you see in Nehemiah that there's a burden that God has for his people and that burden becomes a vision. And God is no different now. He has a burden for his people. He has a burden for this city and he has a, a vision for this church. And so the question is, is not do you have the skills, but are you willing? Are you willing to process and to get involved with what God is calling us to? And I think it's important to process this because um, if you're not willing, then you might want to go back to Nehemiah 1 and Nehemiah 2, where you begin to see God's burden for his people and God's vision for his people. And we're going to unpack what his vision is tonight. But if you aren't willing to get involved, if you aren't willing to care for others, if you aren't willing to engage in the life of the church, if you aren't willing to meet needs in the city, then it's probably because you don't have a burden for those things. They they haven't become your burden. So you don't have a vision for those things. Your vision is maybe focused on your job. It's focused on uh, success. It's focused on your family. It's focused on relationships that you have. It's focused on your social life. All good things, all things that you're going to have a burden for in some regard to see something happen. You're going to have a vision for in some capacity. All good things. But the key word there is your, right? And so when we're, we're faced with God's vision for his people and for his city, it, it typically includes another word and it's difficult for us. And that word is others. Because we're very consumed with my job, my social life, my family, my relationships, my dreams, my success. And sometimes when we're faced with including another name in our trajectory and our vision, which would be other people, even strangers, that can be really difficult. That can be really hard for every single one of us here because here's the truth, it's a little harsh. Every single one of us in this room is narcissistic. We all are. Here's why. We're humans. Human beings have a very key characteristic and that's we care about ourselves more than anybody else. We all do in different ways and to varying degrees, but we all care about ourselves and our personal vision. And that's good. That's okay. God has given you a vision for your job, for your family, for your social life. He's given you dreams and goals, and those are great. But he's also asking you to include others in your vision. He's asking you to see what his vision is for his city, for his church, for his people, and to not cast it off because I don't, I mean, I don't know if I have the skills and I don't really know if I'm willing to engage. You see, our narcissism and our focus on ourselves can really keep us from engaging in God's vision. Look at verse 14. Here's what it says. We kind of turn an eye at some things, right? And you notice in verse 14, it says the dung gate itself was rebuilt by Malkijah, son of Rechab, the mayor of the district of Beth Hakarim. He repaired it, hung its doors, and installed its bolts and bars. Now, the dung gate is literally the gate that dung went out of. It is the garbage and waste of all different types that was taken out of the city 
to a place where they had a dumping ground. So the dung gate is not exactly a very glamorous job. Can you imagine Nehemiah there, right? He's like, all right, next up, we have the dung gate. Who wants to jump on board? And everyone's like pretending like they didn't hear what he was talking about. You know, they're just like, you, you know what I'm talking about? You know when you have that awkward silence when somebody asks you to do something and you don't really want to? And so you're like, you kind of like yawn or you make that face like, hmm. You know, like pretending like you didn't, you didn't really register. It's like everyone's doing that because he's asked who wants to build the dung gate and nobody wants to build the dung gate. Uh, except for this one guy. His name is Melchizedek. He says, who wants to build the dung gate? And everyone's looking around like, hey, what's next? And this guy goes, I'll do it. Can you imagine someone coming up to you after the walls are built and someone comes into Jerusalem? They're like, Melchizedek, man, what's up? What part of the gate did you build? I built the dung gate. Oh, okay. (laughs) And what you notice about this man when you read the text is, he is a mayor. He's a ruler. He, if, if anyone would be someone that you would not maybe imagine would be on the dung gate, it would be this guy. You maybe imagine he could oversee it because he's a ruler. He's a mayor. He may employ some other people and, and they can go build it. He'll just make sure everything's going okay. But it actually tells us that he was the one that set the beams and put the bolts in. The mayor, the ruler was actually the one building and repairing and restoring the least glamorous place in the entire city. Because in God's kingdom, as you see often, the first are last and the last are first. And, and there is no job that is beneath anyone. And, and Melchizedek, he understands that. He's like, the dung gate, nobody wants it. Yeah, I'm a mayor, I'm a ruler, I'm really successful, I got a great job. I'm esteemed in my culture, but I'll, I'll do, I'll do that. I'll jump in there. Do you ever feel sometimes like some tasks are beneath you? Because some people did in this story, actually. I don't know if you caught it when we were reading the thousand names, but here's what it says in verses three through five. It talks about the fish gate, that there was these people building the fish gate. These brothers got involved and they helped build uh, and restore and repair the fish gate. And then next to them were these, these people from uh, Tekoa. And, and it says that they began rebuilding and repairing this one section, but their nobles wouldn't work. It says that their nobles wouldn't actually get their hands dirty. They, it, it would, they wouldn't stoop to that level because that, that kind of work is beneath them. Do you ever feel like that? And maybe here's a better question maybe for us because maybe you're thinking, no, 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 I would, I would do anything. I don't feel like any certain task or jobs are beneath me, but do you ever feel like maybe some task or jobs are a waste of your time? Because it's the same thing, right? I don't, I mean, I have a very limited amount of time. I can't engage in something like that. Because there's other people that have much more time than me. They can do that work. I'll do something that has like, uh, like a high ROI, but like a little bit of time, you know? The return on investment will be high, but I won't have to give too much of my time. See, what you see here is God's vision is for all of his people to come together and to do his work that they've called, that he's called them to. Every single person has a place, has a role, regardless of your skill, regardless of whether or not you think you have any skills. He's asking you to be willing and he's saying, do not think that any job is beneath you. 
Because every single person from the mayor to the priest to a peasant in this instance, every single person is called to come together and to work to rebuild for the work that God has called them to. Notice the type of people. I want to list the type of people that are all involved in this project. We have goldsmiths, perfumers, the rich, the poor. You have families working together, children and daughters, it says. Men and women, rulers and merchants, the clergy. Every single one of these people were involved in the task of rebuilding the wall. The vision that God had given them, every single person is involved. They all have a role. They all have a place. They all were used. And when you really read through the text and you dive into it and you spend some time with it, one of the things that you notice is that actually not every single person that's working on the wall in Jerusalem is from Jerusalem. Some of the people that are working are Gentiles. They're, they're not Jews, but yet they're there and they're attached to God's vision, though they're from a far and distant place. And some people are from some other regions and they're only in Jerusalem for a little bit of time. Do you feel like that? That's really true, right? Especially here in Miami, we are, many of us are here for three years, for four years, for five years. Maybe some of us are feeling like I'm here. I hope I'm only here for one more month, right? We're, we're all here for a different amount of time. And some of us, it's unsure. It's unclear. Some of us, we know school ends here and I'm going to be in the medical school. You know, you get your sorting hat and then they tell you where you're going to go. So you don't know. And you may feel like this, right? I don't know how long I'm in Miami. I'm not really invested here. I'm here for a period of time or I may be leaving. So I probably shouldn't really engage in what God's doing. I don't know if I can really be used in God's vision and what he's calling this church and his people to and what he is looking to do in this city because I'm only here for a little bit of time. There are some people here that were only in Jerusalem for a little bit of time. And yet they were just as involved as anybody because God's vision is for every single person to rise up and build together and to build with haste, it says. Chapter 4, verse 6, the very last uh, verse that you have listed there, it says that the wall was built quickly to half its intended height. Meaning everyone came together and worked hard and worked quickly. To the, to the place where the wall was almost half of its height right away because everybody had a job and had a task and had a role and they were, everybody was working together. Each person here gave their time. Think about this. Every single person there before Nehemiah comes in, they have a job, they have a social life, they have family, they have the anxieties and the pressures of life that are on them. And this guy, Nehemiah, comes and he investigates the wall for a few days and he says that God has, has given him a vision. It's God's vision and it's to rebuild these walls with his people. And he asks all the people to come together and they're going to have to sacrifice some time every single day. They're going to have to sacrifice some time from their job, from their social life. They're going to have to get their family on board. They're not only sacrificing time, but they're sacrificing talent, right? Some of them were probably great builders. They were, they were perfectly suited for this job, and yet others were not. And yet maybe they felt like, I don't know if I have the right talents, but they, they were still involved. They still gave. Even children were involved in giving because I think they understood something. They understood that God's vision that he has for his people is not requ- does not require 
certain skills. God will use your skills, surely, but it's about willingness. And so all the people come together and they give their time and they give their talent, but they also give their treasure. The wall did not finance itself. The king of Persia gave uh, a lot of resources. He gave wood as he wrote the letter to Asaph. We talked about it. So they got some wood and there's surely some other materials, but much of this wall was financed by the people. They had to share resources. Some of them gave a lot. Some of them gave a little. They all gave what they could because they were invested in God's mission. And God's mission is always going to require time and talent and treasure from you every single time. And think about how beautiful of a picture this is. Imagine it. Imagine the rebuilding of the wall. All of God's people together, young and old, men and women, children, merchants, rulers, people from other cities, all different types of ethnic groups, all coming together, surrendered and sharing a vision and a burden together and finding their place as one and working as one unit. It's incredible. And we talked about last week that um, vision is always born out of a, a burden. And maybe you've been processing this, like your personal vision. What is the vision of my life? And that's a really important question to, to ponder. What is the burden that God has given me in my life, professionally, socially, in my family? And what is the vision you're calling me to, God? And that, that's a very frustrating process, as we talked about, because... Seeing vision go forward, it always takes patience, it takes preparation, and it takes a lot of prayer. But chapter 3 here, it gives us another question to process. Not simply, okay, God, what is the what are your burdens for your people and for me in my life? And what is the vision that you have for me? But the question that you have here is, what is God's vision for me in his church with his people? Because it's very clearly a call given to all people. The question is, how might I build? And this is where a lot of us get stuck, right? You're thinking, okay, Carter, I get it. I'm going to pull out the connection card right now. I'm going to fill my name out legibly. And I'm going to check off and I'm going to serve in some capacity. And I'm going to, you know, check off to join a community group. And I'll start giving. I, I, I understand. I understand what you're saying. And I don't want to to dissuade you from getting involved in serving. Surely I don't want to dissuade you from that. You know, if you want to serve on one of our gather teams that does set up and tear down here and on a rotation, then I want to encourage you to do that. If you want to serve on our connect team that helps host events after church and different events in the city, I want to encourage you to do that. If you're interested in our children's ministry team or our city serve team, or our worship team, or the new team we're going to start, which is going to be hospitality. If you're interested in any of those teams, I want to encourage you to serve. And I want to encourage you, if you're not in a community group, to get into a community group. And if you're not giving, to to ask God how you might begin to give to his mission. I don't want to tell you not to do those things, but you can do all of those things. And it have nothing to do with you really grabbing a hold of God's burden for his people and his vision not trying to encourage you to give and to serve because you feel religiously motivated to do that. That is not the intention. That is not our desire. That you just, you feel like, you know what? Okay, I'll start serving because it's the right thing to do and you're telling me I'm supposed to do it, so I'll serve. 
and I'm supposed to give because I, I get it. I'm supposed to give and I, I feel a little bit ashamed that I have it and I feel guilty. So I'm going to start giving. It's not what we're saying. And it's not what this text says that we are to serve and we are to give because we realize we've been loved by God. Because we realize that God has called us together as his people. He has loved us that he has forgiven us that he has united us together as many different people from all over the place. And he has a burden that more people would come to know the same love that we've come to know and that we would be a part of his vision. And so because we're a part of his vision through his church, we're going to give and we're going to serve and we're going to join community groups and we're going to be engaged in the process, not because we're religiously motivated, but because we understand God's love. And it excites us to be involved and engaged in what God's doing. Because see, to say that you don't want to engage in what God's doing through his church or in this city is essentially to say, thank you, Jesus, for what you did on the cross. Thank you for giving me this church to come and gather in. Thank you for how generous that you have been to me in my life. And I know that you have a burden for people. And I know that you have a burden to see people come to know the message that I know, which is that you bring hope and love and forgiveness and peace and joy. I know that that is your vision to carry that out through your church, but I'm good. I'm okay. I don't have a lot of time right now. I don't have a lot to give right now. I don't have the necessary skills And I just, I got to get some things right in my life. And once I have more time, then I'll engage. Once I require, acquire the certain skills, then I'll engage. Once I have extra money, then I'll give. See, the story here of God's people in Nehemiah 3 is that all of these people came together. They had different skill sets. They had different jobs. They had different burdens, different anxiety and pressures that were facing them. They were at different places in their journey of faith. And yet every single one of them, for the most part, besides the nobles who felt like the work was beneath them, they all came together and found a place. They all served. They all gave, even the children. Every single person was involved in what God is doing. And it tells us exactly why. And it wasn't religious motivation. It wasn't out of guilt. Look at verse 4, chapter 4, verse 6. So we kept at it, repairing and rebuilding the wall. And the whole wall was soon joined together halfway to its intended height because the people had a heart for the work. It's It's the most accurate translation. The people had a heart. For the work, not the people felt pressured or, hey, Nehemiah came in. He gave this really good sermon about working together and building the wall. And so everyone just got excited about that or they felt shame because it's been all this time and they hadn't done anything for 50 years. And so they felt like, wow, we really dropped the ball. It wasn't any of those reasons. They worked at it and kept at it and rebuilt the wall together as one people. Why? Because they had a heart to do it. They had a heart. They had a shared burden for what God desired for his people and his city. And it became their vision united together as one people. They had a heart for it. 
And inevitably, when we talk about burden, we talk about vision and what God's burden is for this city and this church and what his vision is for this church and our city, you can feel a little bit lost, right? You can feel like, okay, I get it. I understand, but I I don't really know what to do. I don't really know what our wall is, right? Maybe you think, Carter, it would be a lot easier if we had a very clearly defined project and it would actually be even easier if you said, okay, Phil... You're on the fish gate. Jatel, sorry, you're on the dung gate. Right? If we, if we just said, here's the project. Here is what we need everyone to accomplish. Fill in the roles. Fill in the gaps. Let's go. Let's do it. But when it's like, okay, well, what, what actually is the vision? It's the same vision in Nehemiah. The vision is redemption. Notice in verse... 6 of chapter 4, what it says. We kept at it. Look at those words. Repairing and rebuilding the wall. Repairing and rebuilding the wall. Now, there was, of course, new material that was involved in rebuilding the wall. You know, that there was new wood and timber that came from this guy Asaph and probably some other things. But when you rebuild something and when you repair something and when you restore something, you take that which is in front of you that's been broken down and cast aside and disregarded and you restore it. You put it back together. You redeem it. So the people of God here, as they're they're caring for God's vision, they look at the wall and the wall is in ruins and there's chipped stone and there's fires burning near the gates and There's wood and broken down everywhere. And they're like, what do we do? And there's like, oh, let's just like take all of this out of here and then just bring in all new stones and all new wood and all new everything. And that's not what happened. They rebuilt it. They repaired it. They took the chip stone and the wood and they started to to put it back together and they put the fires out and they built it back to its intended height. They restored it. They redeemed it. They took the broken down material that was disregarded for years and years and years and years. And they redeemed it. See, all it needed was some fresh eyes to perceive what was possible. A little TLC, tender love and care. Some, some strengthened hands that were willing to take the material and to help to restore it. And a community that was willing to come together and rebuild it's what it took. In 1 Peter 2, Peter speaks about um, some stones that have been disregarded but have been redeemed. See it on the screen behind me. It says in 1 Peter 4, chapter 4, verse 2, it says, As you come to him, Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, cast out, disregarded, broken down, but you are built in the sight of God But in the sight of God, you are chosen and precious. You yourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house. You see, before Christ, every single one of us was rejected and broken down and looked over and disregarded. But Peter tells us that God looked at us and he chose us and he viewed us as precious. He didn't just cast us aside. He redeemed us, right? 
He rebuilt us in him, through him. We were broken down and disregarded stones, and yet he has made us now, through him, into living stones. That though we were broken down, Christ went to the cross and broke himself down for us. He was cast aside. He was disregarded. He was broken, literally broken for us so that we might be what redeemed. We might be built up through his effort and his strengthened hands and his tender loving care that we might be redeemed as broken down stones to now living stones. And notice the language. We are built up as living stones to a what? A spiritual house. Isn't that interesting? The language tells us that you're a stone, you're a living stone, and you're part of a wall and a house. You're part of a spiritual house, meaning you're a stone in the wall. And here's the thing. There are many other stones around you. And Peter wants you to understand this, that you are not only isolated. You're not a standalone stone. You're a part of many other stones because you're a part of a spiritual house now because Christ has redeemed you. And so he says in verse nine, but you are a chosen, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Jesus Christ looked at you and he viewed you as precious and he chose you and you were disregarded, you were rejected and you were broken down and yet he built you up because of what he did on the cross for you, because of his effort, because of the strength of his hands and his willingness to go to a task that was not beneath him, but it was for you so that you might be built up to a living stone that's part of a wall, that's part of a house and there are many other stones around you. So now you are to recognize that you are no longer standalone. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a nation, a people. You are a people built up by Christ. And then he says, now that you understand that you are a people, that you're no longer to be alone and to live and to do life alone, let me give you your vision. Let me give you the vision of the church. Here it is. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You have been built up into a living stone as part of a house. You are now a people. You are a church. You are a nation. And you are to work together. You have a vision. Here's the vision. To declare the excellencies of Jesus Christ. To display them. What does that mean? It means you share and you show Christ. You share and... And you show Christ. And there's obviously a personal side to this, right? You share and you show Christ by your conduct at work, your conversations with friends and coworkers, by your willingness to identify as a Christian, by the self-control that you have in social situations, by the wisdom that you display when you're faced with cultural pressures, that your conduct is to share or is to show Christ. By your conduct, you might show Christ, meaning in prayer and asking God for his grace that you might display the fruits of the Spirit, the character of God, that you might display Christ. You might be self-controlled and loving and patient and kind and gentle and good. But not only your conduct, but also your conversations, that your conversations would share Christ. 
which is not me when a coworker says to you, hey, you want to go get lunch? And you're like, hey, want to go to heaven? Right? That's not what it means. That would be weird. Don't do that. Okay? But it does mean not purposefully hiding your faith. It does mean not conveniently keeping all of your conversations to surface level so you never have to reveal too much. If you think about conversations that you have with coworkers or friends that aren't in the church versus maybe the, the conversations you have with people here in the church in your community group, are they similar? When someone asks you and says, hey, I know you've been really struggling in work lately and it's been really stressful for you. How, how's it going? A friend in the church, your community group, you may say, you know, it's going okay. I'm really, I'm trying to manage my stress, but I feel like God has been gracious to me because he's kind of revealed some things that I put too much care and, and too much focus on. But, you know, I think God's trying to teach me some things. And so it's okay, but God is gracious to teach me those things. And then a coworker asks you the same thing. Hey, I know that you've been stressed at work. How are you doing? You're like, you know, it's okay. I'm managing my stress right now, but you know, slowly and surely everything's okay. You conveniently left something out, right? Someone asks you what you're doing this weekend. There are friends, you know them, they're in your community group. And they say, hey, what are you doing this weekend? I'm so excited about the weekend. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna go to the beach. I'm gonna go see a movie. And then obviously I'm gonna go to church. Another friend asks you the same thing. Hey, what are you doing this weekend? You say, I'm gonna go to the beach. I'm gonna go to a movie. I'm just gonna relax, Right? conveniently leaving something out. So your conversations are to show Christ. Your character and your conduct is to show Christ. But not only that, we are to, re- to realize that we were disregarded stones that have been built up in Christ and we we're part of a wall. We we're a part of a community. And together, we are to share and to show Christ as a people as a church, we are no longer standalone, meaning we are to carry together God's burden for his people and his city and to together walk in the vision that he has to declare his excellencies through this church, through you, through your community group, through the opportunities that you have to serve, to share and to show how excellent and good and loving and forgiving and gracious God is. That we are to do this together, to reinforce it in each other, to encourage each other, to work together. There's a quote on the very front of your uh, worship program by Henry Ford. He says, coming together is a beginning, keeping together is progress, and working together is success. The church isn't only about coming together like we've done tonight. It isn't only about keeping together as we do in community groups. It is also about working together, serving together, coming alongside one another. It is about showing Christ together. It is about sharing Christ together. It is about actually really being a spiritual house comprised of many living stones It is about having a heart for the work and building together where each one of us has a task and has a role and has a place. And so when we say to you, will you help us make our house a home? That's what we mean. Will you be a part of God's vision of sharing and showing Christ and his excellencies to our city and to all the people that need to see it and to each other by finding a place by joining a bridge team, by giving your talent, even if you don't think you have a lot, by, by giving financially, 
by seeing a need and, and not waiting for somebody else to come and fill it, but actually saying, I can jump in there and do that. I know nobody wants to be at the dung gate, but I'll go to the dung gate. See, my prayer is that in a short time, we'll look back on the next couple years. It'll be a little bit easier language to read, but we'll look around and we'll be able to say, man, winter built that section of the wall. And Melissa helped build that section of the wall. And, and Chris helped bring these people to Christ. And Dylan brought these people, really reinforced the community of the church. And, and Tilkey was, was serving over here. Nobody else wanted to serve there. And, and Christine was really reaching out to people in our city. And we could go down the list and name all of the people that God used in his vision for his people, that people might come to see who Christ is and his excellencies. That's the vision of the church. And that's exciting. It's not a burden. It's a good burden, as we talked about last week. One of the things you notice in this passage is that every single person, for the most part, is working in their neighborhood. The priests are working near the sheep gate, which is where they would have brought the sheep in and out for the sacrifice. And all of them are are, are really working in an area of the city that was close to them. Essentially, they're noticing the apparent need and brokenness in their life. And they're taking up the task of meeting that need. So the question I want to leave you with as you process is, is what's your neighborhood? What is the need that is, is apparent to you? Maybe it's in your office. Maybe it's with a friend. Maybe it's in your community group. Maybe you're saying, I need to get involved in serving in the church. Maybe you've noticed some things and you don't see anybody else meeting that need. And so you're actually going to step up and meet the need. What is the brokenness? The, the disregarded material, the disregarded people has been broken down in front of you and will you step up and be a part of meeting it? Because here's the reality. You are a people. Crossbridge Brickle is your people that you've been called to be united with, to rise up and build with, to find your place, to find your task. It doesn't require certain skills. It requires willingness. It requires coming to see God's burden, his vision for his people and being excited about doing it together and then being able to look back and say, look what God did through all of these different people because we can only ever do it together. So my prayer is that verse four or verse six, chapter four, be true of what God is building here, that we kept at it rebuilding and repairing the wall and the whole wall was soon joined together halfway to its intended height. Why? Because we had a heart for the work. Let's pray.